First Chronicles 21, and uh, I was thinking about a message, and the title is, What's God Trying to Teach Us Through This uh, Coronavirus? And so we see now the whole wide world, I mean, pretty much all the people on planet Earth are in the middle of this class, kind of like that we're forced to take this class of coronavirus, whether we like it or not, we didn't sign up for it. But we're all taking part of it. And, and what I think in many ways is that school is still going on. There, there's basically what I've discovered is there, was, there are lessons to be learned. And I think that a lot of those lessons, unfortunately, if we're not careful, we can go through this trial, we can go through this time of testing and not come away uh, the way that God wants to just show us and, and grow us and, and come in a place where we can actually come out different and challenged and yet changed as a church. And so, again, the question is, Lord, what are you trying to teach us through this? You know, there's a lot of things I can think of uh, off the top of my head, like the importance of our family, uh, the frailty of our economy, the reality of our mortality. You know, those are things I think that are obvious lessons. They're just kind of, though, the tip of the iceberg, you know. I was thinking, Lord, there's more going on here, you know. And so today, to be honest with you, I was studying for Proverbs uh, chapter 2, which is what I was scheduled to teach today. But uh, somehow the Lord brought me here in my devotional reading. And uh, to be honest with you, not, not to sound weird or anything, but uh, yesterday was a kind of a rough day. A lot of trials, a lot of things that are still going on in the church, just trying to minister to people who are going through some tough times. And so... One of the things the Lord laid on my heart yesterday was just to be in the Word, just to be in prayer, to be reading my Bible, to be praying. And I was there in First Chronicles, and I was just reading and praying, reading and praying, reading and praying yesterday, right? And so this morning when I woke up, I was here. I, I wouldn't have been here had I not done that yesterday, and, but the Lord knew. The Lord knew I really believe with all my heart that God wanted to share with me a message and prayerfully, you know, you guys can see it. Uh, to me, I think it's really obvious. You know, when I go through my devotional reading, I, I try not to make God's personal lessons to me teaching lessons to others. But when I read this, I just couldn't get away from what God is sharing here in this 21st chapter of First Chronicles, you know. And so five primary lessons that I believe God wants to teach us and I actually ended up making an acronym for it. Now, uh, the acronym I don't think is good enough necessarily to share with anyone, but it's good enough for me to evaluate my life. And what I thought when I came up with the acronym was, more importantly, it, these are things that we can kind of put to short-term memory so that we can meditate on these things. And so it's, uh, the acronym is COVID for covid and as we go through this chapter right here, I think these are five lessons that God wants to teach us through this trial. Number one, we're going to look at the cause. Like, why is this going on? Number two, we're going to look at the order, which is what is God asking us to do? Number three, we're going to look at the victims, because we got to make sure that we don't get weird and think that all those who are getting sick are, you know, these worse than any others. No, we're, we're all deserving of it, but we need to talk a little bit about that. And then number four, we're going to look at the intervention, that as we humble ourselves, as we pray, as God shows up, as God intervenes, 
then things will be restored. And we're going to see it's all about Jesus. God's starting to teach us about Jesus through this. And then the last thing is the word D, and that is where God wants us to, to dwell, where our final destination is. And so here in First Chronicles chapter 21, uh, let's start reading in verse 1. Notice what it says. It says, Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. So David said to Joab and to the leaders of the people, Go number Israel from Beersheba to Dan. That would be from uh, the, the bottom to the top through the whole country. And bring the number of them to me that I may know it. And Joab answered, and he said, May the Lord make his people a hundred times more than they are. But my Lord, the king, are they not all my Lord's servants? Why then does my Lord require this thing? Why should he be cause of guilt in Israel? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Therefore Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem And then Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to David. All Israel had 1,100,000 men who drew the sword, and Judah had 470,000 men who drew the sword. But he did not count Levi and Benjamin among them, for the king's word was abominable to Joab. And God was displeased with this thing. Therefore, he struck Israel. So David said to God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing. But now I pray, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. And then the Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, saying, Thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and said to him, Thus says the Lord, choose for yourself either three years of famine or three months to be defeated by your foes with the sword of your enemies overtaken you, or else three days for the sword of the Lord, the plague in the land with the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. Now consider what answer I should take to him who sent me. And David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let me fall into the hand of the Lord. For his mercies are very great, but do not let me fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel, and 70,000 men of Israel fell. And so this first section right here, uh, there's a lot, a lot here. But what I was kind of thinking is like, it explains to us like the cause of the calamity. Number one, it's sin. It's sinners, and we need to know this. Number two, it's Satan. We saw him there in verse one. And then number three, it's our sovereign God. We need to know these things as Christians. We need to have an understanding of theology. And maybe you're new to all this and you're wondering how it all works. Well, this is why. You know, it's okay to ask, like, what caused this virus? What caused all this and and whether immediately or eventually inevitably we need to conduct a thorough investigation on the core cause of all this so that we might do our best to prevent it from ever happening to us again 
But we need to make sure that we understand there's a deeper cause that, that, that won't be found anywhere near Wuhan, China, in any lab, in any bat or any animal. There are deeper discoveries that we need to make as to the cause of COVID-19, and it won't be found on the surface. It can only be found in the scriptures. You know, it would be like asking, like, who's to blame for the cross of Christ? You know, you talk to people about that, and some will say, well, it's Pontius Pilate, or it's the Roman government. Others might blame the high priests, or the religious leaders, or, or the Jews. But at the end of the day, it was us. It was our sin that we committed. We were the ones that nailed our Savior to the cross. And so when we're looking at all this, let's not miss the lessons that God is trying to teach us. Uh, Number one, what caused it? Well, it's it's sin. Now, we don't see it here in 1 Chronicles, but the parallel passage is in 2 Samuel chapter 24. And there it says that the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. And that's how the, the plague actually started. You know, if we're honest, as God looks down on our planet, I have a hunch that there is a lot of sin that breaks his heart. You know, we live in a broken world, and and by nature, just because of that first sin entering in, we're going to see sickness and suffering. We're going to see death. And so the cause of all this, it's the sin. It's the sin of the world that we live in even today. You know, there are things that we used to be ashamed of at one time, and now we're not. They're done now, not just in the back alleys, but they're strutting down Main Street, and the world is applauding. You know, again, not making light of anything that's going on, but, you know, yesterday there were 1,049 deaths through COVID-19, and yesterday there were 125,000 babies that were murdered on our planet. You see, and you, and you think that God's okay with that. Absolutely not. We need to come back to him. You know, what, what caused this? It's sin. Sin done globally and sin done personally. You know, abortion is bad, but, but so is pride. And when you look at the chapter right here, that's what was going on in David's heart, right? I mean, here we see in verse 1 that Satan stood up against Israel and he moved David to number Israel. And so David said to Joab and to the leaders of the people, go number Israel from Beersheba to Dan and and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. And and we're going to see that Joab and the captains, they knew it was wrong. They did it anyways. And that's partially their sin as well. But it was David. It was David's sin. And later on, when the, the nation is struck... David even tells God, he says, God, uh, don't, don't let these people perish. These are just sheep. Lord, it was me. It was my sin. And I, and I don't know, you know, how you feel about this. You know, some people are just pointing their fingers at others. But whenever I read my Bible, whether it's Nehemiah or Daniel, whoever it might be, and there's crazy things going on in the world, it's not just everyone else's sin. It's my sin. Because if we don't know the cause of all this then we're not going to learn the lessons that God wants to teach us. God wants us to come out different as a church. This challenge is to change us, and not just them, but me. And so here we see it's a sin, I think, in Israel that was nationally. For us, it's globally. 
But I think it's also something that we see oftentimes, you know, we, we, we see it personally. You know, we don't know why David wanted to number the people, but, but it's interesting. You know, when you think about that for a second, if it can happen to David, this guy who loved the Lord, whose heart was just dedicated to God, then it can happen to anyone. And if it happened in this time, then it can happen really at any time. Because really, when you study the context of David's life right here, man, David was doing great. You know, David was doing so good victories over the Philistines, the Moabites, the Edomites, the Ammonites, the Syrians. He was doing so well. He was just blessed by God. The Bible says that wherever he went, he prospered. But then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, I don't know if it was pride or maybe it was fear, but he said, hey, let's number the people. Let's find out how big our army is. Let's get down to this. And, you know, I think a lot of times what ends up happening is is we can go there and God does not want us to go there. Well, we start, you know, numbering the people. The amount of money in the bank, the amount of soldiers in the army, for us as Christians, we're, we're often deceived, I think, in the body of Christ because we're looking to numbers, the budget, the building, the size of the body, the, and the social media. How many likes did I get or how many viewers or how many followers do I have? And we just get so caught up in numbers and God is saying, no, trust me. Don't look to the numbers. You know, David got, got prideful or, or maybe David got fearful all I know is that numbers became a factor in his life. And so he tells Joab and the guys to go number the people. And Joab, you know, does it. They, and, and they shouldn't have either, right? They knew better. Listen, just because it's legal, just because it's mandated by men, it doesn't mean it's lawful to God. We, we can't just go with the flow. The current of the culture does not determine what's right or wrong. God does. And so, Joab, you know, when you see this all along the way, you see, well, what's the cause? How how did this plague start? It it started with the sin nationally, for us globally, for David personally, and then it trickles down to Joab. He made a decision to do it, and the captains and all them, they all had their hands in it. You know, when we look at the cause of this, You know, before we conclude it's a China thing, I think that we need to really understand it's it's a minor thing. Look at verse 8, if you would, again. David says to, to God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing. You know, and there's none of us here that can say, well, I haven't fallen short. And God is just saying, listen, I want everyone to wake up. I want everyone to look up. I want everyone to grow up. This is why we're going through these trials. Again, don't get me wrong. If there's anyone out there coming against our nation, we got to take care of business. But there's something, something greater going on in our globe. Something deeper is the cause of COVID-19. Number one, sinners. Number two, Satan. And we see that there in verse one, again, that Satan stood up against Israel. And he moved David to number Israel. See, if there's one thing, another thing that we got to come away with is understanding that we're in this spiritual battle against fallen angels. 
we need to know that we're dealing with the devil and with his demons. I've told you guys a million times that we're no match for the enemy, but the enemy is no match for God. And so we need the power of God. We need the armor of God. We need the word of God. We need to pray to God. Uh, like Jesus told the guys, he said, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. You know, sometimes the temptation is inevitable, but other times it's avoidable. And the way that it's avoidable, according to the Lord Jesus Christ, is if we would watch and pray. You know, even in the model prayer, the Lord taught us, this is kind of how I want you to pray, probably something we should do every day. Not saying you have to say it, you know, word for word, but, but the thoughts are there. Lead us not into temptation. Why? Because there's this spiritual battle. There's Satan there ready to move us in places and to say things and think things and do things and be people that we're not supposed to be. And all that is part of the cause of what's going on. You know, Matthew twenty six forty one. Jesus said, Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, one of the things I think that we have to learn, and again, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but you know, when Jesus said that, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was about to face Satan himself. And uh, he told his guys, hey, can you watch and pray with me? But they didn't. They ended up falling asleep. And so he came back. He woke them up. He said, come on, you guys, watch and pray. Uh, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You can't do this on your own strength. Watch and pray. And then he came back again, and they were sleeping. He came back again, and they were sleeping. And, and, and you know, what I, what I think the Lord's calling us to as, as a nation, it was so beautiful to hear our president say, let's pray. Let's seek God. But I have a hunch that we've gone through it. I don't know how many weeks it's been like now. And has it transformed our prayer life? Why? We need the Lord. We need to know the cause is sin. It's sinners. It's Satan. And, and then we need to know the third thing is that it's God's sovereignty. You know, when you look at, again, uh, the scripture over in Second uh, Samuel 24, you see God's hand is all over this. This is God. You know, his sovereignty, he disciplines us because he loves us. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 6, it says, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives. You know, why would God allow it? Because God is trying to speak louder. Wake up. Wake up. It's time for us to look up. He's coming. You know, it's through the pain that we hear his megaphone. You know, C.S. Lewis, he said this, We can ignore even pleasures, but pain insists upon be being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And what we see is the Lord, it, it, through all this, what, what do we learn? What's the cause? Well, it's sin. It's Satan and it's God's sovereignty that what we see right here is God is on the throne. He's allowing all these things to happen because he wants to bring us back to a place that we need to be. You know, how it was authored is not really the main issue. 
because anything that happens must be allowed by God, filtered through his sovereign hands. This is not something he had no say in. It's not like, well, God didn't, you know, oh, he took him by surprise. It's not something that, you know, he wasn't aware of. All this is happening as part of his sovereign plan. And so there's this, the, the sea. We, we deal with the sea as far as COVID goes. But then what's the order? You know, when you look at what happened right here, I think that David, he got convicted. He knew that he was doing wrong. And then, you know, he came to a place where he began to pray and he began to humble himself. And we see that there in, in verse uh, 16. This is, then David lifted his, his eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven, having in his hand a drawn sword stretched out over Jerusalem. So David and the elders clothed in sackcloth fell on their faces. So, so what do you do when there's a plague in the land? You clothe yourself with sackcloth and you fall on your face. This is what the Holy Spirit would call us to do. I believe with all my heart what God is calling us to do, what the order is, is to humble ourselves. You know, do we see what's going on? Has it driven us to our knees? Do we care? Like I shared with you before, what's going on, it's so real. You know, I don't know if it's hit home, you know, to, to you yet. Sometimes I feel like people are waiting for it to get closer before it really brings them to their knees. No, these are real stories. They're not statistics. These are real names. It's just not numbers. You know, we read, I think yesterday I read of a story of, a, of an infant, only seven weeks old, no underlying conditions, died. I, I read a story of one man, both parents died six minutes apart, no underlying conditions. Today I read a story of a, a 30-year-old man, he's a coach, healthy as a horse, and he dies, no underlying conditions. Do we see this? I mean, again, not, not trying to freak anybody out, but the reality of, of it is, is this is real, that this is going on in our world. There are a number of stories. I, I read about a sheriff who, who recently passed or just different things that are going on. And so, you know, Lord, we're looking at this, the cause of it, all right? It, it's sin. It's Satan. It's God's sovereignty. We see that mixture there. And then... And then as far as the order, okay, then what do we do, Lord? And I believe with all my heart that God is calling us to humble ourselves. We keep going back to Second Chronicles seven fourteen. Have we humbled ourselves? Are we clothed in sackcloth? Are we on our face? We should be. You know, what we find is that God is trying to teach us these things. In, in verse 17, we, we have the V as far as the victims go. And David said to God, was it... Not I who commanded the people to be numbered. I am the one who has sinned and done evil indeed. But these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, O Lord my God, be against me and, and my father's house, but not against your people that they should be played. And, and what we find is that no one sins unto themselves. Now, again, you know, we've talked about this before. You know, why do good things or bad things happen to good people? They're all no, no good people, so to speak. We've all sinned. But when you look at a baby, that baby's innocent. 
when you look at some of the people that, that are suffering and going through the sicknesses, it, it doesn't mean that they're necessarily, you know, worthy of such a judgment. It says that whenever sin enters the land, we don't sin unto ourselves. You know, David's sin affected others. And we need to see that for what it is. You know, we need to see these victims, so to speak. I was thinking about that parable that Jesus showed, he shared in Luke chapter 13. And I was wondering if you could turn there. In Luke chapter 13, it says in verse 1, there were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will also likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And, and what Jesus is saying here, because we've got to make sure that we have good theology, that we don't get weird, that if someone gets the virus, we think that they're worse than we are. That's not what's going on. That's not what we believe. Those are not the lessons that we learn. This can happen to anyone. And it's a lesson for all of us. That even in one sense, these victims, in, in one sense, we'll call them that, that are suffering these things. It's not because they're worse than us. We need to know that we're all deserving of this. And what God is calling us to do is as we live in this fallen world, I mean, I have to just really examine my life. Am I changing? Am I growing? What a wasted opportunity this would be if the only thing that we got out of this is that after this was all said and done, we got back together and, you know, whatever. We don't touch our face anymore. We don't shake hands anymore. We keep our social distancing. We know we're germophobics or something like that. No, we should fear God. We have to come out of this sanctified. We have to come out different. You know, how can this happen, though? Because none of us are worthy. You know, none of us are able. None of us bring any righteousness to the table. Uh, what we find ourselves at the end of the day, you know, like this virus, and, and I know you've probably heard this before, but because it's new, because it's novel, we have no immunity to this. We have no defense to this. It's so uh, contagious. It's just so amazing. And we, we have no answer. And so it's kind of like sin. It's kind of like this whole situation. We have no answer. And so here was David in this situation. He's seeing everybody dying. He's seeing the plague spreading. What does David do? We see here the eye is for intervention because God then intervenes. We begin first at verse 15 where it says, And God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. And as he was destroying, the Lord looked and relented of the disaster and said to the angel who was destroying, It is enough. Now restrain your hand. And the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. What do we need? We need God's intervention. And here we see it begins with God. As, as David, he started heading in the right direction. You know, the angel of the Lord, and some people think that may be Jesus, 
but there is the Lord ready to give Jerusalem what she deserves, but God intervenes. There's this intervention that takes place. And then if you jump down to verse 18, it says, Therefore the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. And so David went up at the word of Gad, which he had spoken in the name of the Lord. Now Ornan turned and saw the angel and his four sons who were with him hid themselves. But Ornan continued threshing wheat. And so David came to Ornan. And Ornan looked and saw David. And he went out from the threshing floor. And he bowed down before David. He bowed before David with his face to the ground. And then David said to Ornan, Grant me the place of this threshing floor, that I may build an altar on it to the Lord. For you shall grant it to me at the full price, that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. But Ornan said to David, Take it to yourself, and let my lord the king do what is good in his eyes. Look, I also give you the oxen for burnt offerings, the threshing implements for wood, and the wheat for the grain offering. I give it all. Then King David said to Ornan, No, but I will surely buy it for the full price, for I will not take what is waiting, what is yours for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings with that which cost me nothing. So David gave Ornan six hundred shekels of gold by weight for the place, and David built there an altar to the Lord, and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings, and called on the Lord. And he answered him from heaven by fire on the altar of burnt offering. And, and what we see right here is intervention. What we see right here is a picture of what Jesus Christ does. You know, through this aspect we call salvation. What we find is that David here, in one sense, he becomes a picture of Christ who paid the price on the cross for our sins. You know, it's interesting, as Gad speaks to David, and he says, hey, you need to go buy that property there. You know, uh, Samuel tells us that he bought the, the altar, and here we see he buys the entire property for all this gold. And as he buys this property, you know, Ornan is like, no, you don't need to buy it. I'll give it to you. And what does David say? He says, no, that's not what I need to do. I've got to pay the full price. And that's what Jesus Christ has done for our sins. He paid the full price. He laid down his life. He shed his blood for every single sin we've ever committed. You know, this right here, when you look at David, is interesting. You know, in one sense, he becomes a uh, type of a, of a Christian. But in the other sense, he becomes a type of Christ. And, and when we're looking at, at, at this plague, and when we're looking... Not just at this plague, this this COVID, you know, nineteen, this coronavirus. There will be other trials. There will be other things. There will be other wars. There will be other ways that the enemy will try to take us down. And we have to always go back to the cross. We have to go back to this place where Jesus paid the price for all of our sins. This is what He did. And, and it's interesting, though, because you might wonder, well, if that's what Jesus did, then why is it that not everyone saved? Why is it that not everyone sanctified? Why is it that some people seem to love the Lord more than others? 
Why is it that some seem to be more like Jesus than others? Why are some stuck? Why, how, how come some don't grow? Why are some, they're so terrible witnesses and they say they're Christians and you would never know it. And why is it that there's such a variable, there's such a difference in the church? And, and I think that when you see what David did right here, we, we learn from this. You know, this trial that we're going through is tremendous. I don't know if you felt it. Maybe you're out there and you have. There's been someone close to you that, that is not feeling well. There's someone close to you that's being tested. There's someone close to you that's being tested positive. I don't know, you know what's going on in your life, but, but it's, this is all, whether it's closer or far, we're seeing it, we're hearing it, we're knowing it, we're feeling it. It's got to change us. What's the cause? Well, it's sin. It's Satan. It's God's sovereignty allowing it to shake us up, to bring us to a place that we would come out stronger and different and closer, that we'd wake up, that we'd look up, that we'd grow up. You know, okay, well, what's the order? The O for COVID is, is, is for us to humble ourselves, for us to put on sackcloth, for us to fall to our face. Have we been there? Because we see the victims. We see all the innocent people, even children, waiting for someone to stand in the gap. What if, what if God is on his throne right now watching the whole wide world going through this and wondering, will they turn? Will they, like Nineveh, they humbled themselves? God showed mercy. I mean, what we're seeing right now, some will say, well, it's, like, it's, it's similar to other things. It's similar to the Spanish flu. It's not as bad as the bubonic plague. And it's true. It's true. But, but you would never think that it would happen to us uh, the way that we have so much medical advancement, so much technology. You know, we have so much science. You know, you, you wouldn't think it would happen to us. And not only that, but what we see happening right now is so global. It's got to be God trying to get our attention. And so we look then to the intervention of what Jesus did, but there's something that we need to do as well. And what we find is that when David offered these sacrifices, that David offered a burnt offering and a peace offering. And, and when you realize what David's done, that, that right there is what we need to do. Salvation it is not just what Christ has done. It's also something that we need to do. You know, David here offers this uh, burn offering, this peace offering. Look at verse 26. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings and called on the Lord and he answered him from heaven by fire on the altar of burnt offerings. You know, I had to ask myself that question, and let me ask you that question. Have you offered the burnt offering? Have you offered the peace offering? The burnt offering is when they would take the sacrifice and they would give it all to God. They would burn it all. They would give it all to God. And we're not going to get anywhere if we're half-hearted. We're not going to get anywhere if we only give God a fraction of who we are. Every thought, every word, all that we do, all that we are must be surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And this is why, you know, some people will find themselves, they've, they've gone to church or they, you know, they got baptized or 
whatever, they went through some sacrament or ceremony or whatever, they got close to church, but they don't really know the Lord. They don't really know the Lord because they haven't come and, and say, Lord, you're, you're the Lord of my life. You're, you're going to call the shots. You know, those things that, that are sin, I, I, I lay them down, God. You know, some people that are, are living together need to get married or separated. Some people who are engaging in sexual sin and thinking that it's okay that, you know, you're, you're a Christian because you know the Bible, God is saying, no, be holy, be pure. Now, some people, they're going to church and they're, they're, they're looking at porn or they're getting high or they're doing these things. You know, we even talked about the sins of, of pride that are getting in the way of what God wants to do in our lives. We have idols. And what we find right here is David, he offered the burnt offering. That's when they would take the sacrifice and they would give it all to God. Listen, let's let this bring us to a place where we give it all to God. But, but then there's this peace offering. And I love the peace offering because what that is, is where they would take the uh, sacrifice and then they would give some to the, the priests and some to God and they would keep some for themselves. And what they would do is they would sit down and they would eat it together. They would eat it together. It's like fellowship. And that's what happens when you become a Christian. You have this fellowship with God. And, and what that does when you're having fellowship with God, imagine having a relationship with God. And that's what God's trying to rekindle. You know, I don't know about you, but man, I find myself tempted to do so many different things. I find myself watching the news. Next thing you know, I'm feeling the symptoms because... I think it kind of does that to you. I, I don't know. Uh, you get distracted. Um, social media, even things around the house. Um, I mean, you name it. The enemy will dangle everything in front of us to keep us from this personal, intimate fellowship and relationship that we have with God. Because it's there and only there where we will have peace. And I know that's what God wants to give to us. Remember, I'm talking about, you know, us uh, waking up and looking up and growing up, but also cheering up. Because Jesus said, in this world you will, have good, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. And we can have a peace even in the midst of all this pain. You know, the sea is for the cause. And I pray we would know the cause, really the, the real cause, the root cause, the biblical cause is sin and Satan and God's sovereignty. I pray we would know that his marching orders, what does he want us to do to humble ourselves, these victims? No one sins unto themselves. They're going to suffer the consequences. And so as Jesus has intervened, this intervention, it leads to our salvation. It leads to our sanctification. As we allow Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of our life, as we offer the burnt offering and the peace offering. And then what ends up happening after David goes through this whole thing, and imagine how beautiful it was when the Lord said, okay, enough. And it was gone. It was done. It was defeated. Imagine how beautiful it will be when we're back in fellowship again, when we see the streets filled and, you know, the, the malls and all these things. You know, it's a trip seeing the, the, the wall there in, in Israel, the, the wailing wall. It's empty. It's virtually empty. Imagine how beautiful it will be when we see everything restored again. 
and which leads us to our, our last letter in the acronym COVID, and that that last D. Notice what we read right here. It says in verse 27, "So the Lord commanded the angel, and he returned his sword to its sheath." And at that time, when David saw that the Lord had answered him on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite, he sacrificed there for the tabernacle of the Lord and the altar of the burnt offering, which Moses had made in the wilderness, were at that time at the high place in Gibeon. But David could not go before it to inquire of God, for he was afraid of the sword of the angel of the Lord. And then look at verse 1 of chapter 22. Then David said, This is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of burnt offering for Israel. That, that D, it stands for, for dwelling or, or destination. He wouldn't go back. He wouldn't go back to Gibeon. This is now where David would stay. This would be the future site of the temple that Solomon would build. And it would be there where the blood of Jesus would come down to wash away our sins as it's sprinkled onto the mercy seat. And, and what, I, what I find is that as, as we're learning, as we're getting these lessons, as we're not just blaming everybody else, but we're willing to look at our own life. We're, we're willing to change as a church, congregationally and personally, then we come to this place where we understand the power of his blood, the power of his sacrifice. And, and then what ends up happening is we don't go back to, to Gibeon. It says right there that when, when David saw this whole thing, that he sacrificed there. And that's where we need to stay. I wanted to close in, in John chapter 15. Because as God brings us to this place of, you know, um, fellowship and consecration, my prayer is that when God brings us there, because he's going he's gonna to bring us there. I, I was thinking about this. I was talking to one person. Well, how long is this going to be? How long is this going to be? I think the, the best answer is probably is as long as it takes. And so here in, in John 15, once we get there, my prayer is that we would stay there, that we would dwell there, that that would be our destination. Look at verse 1. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may, may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. And Jesus here, 
he gives us this great I am statement that he's the, the true vine. His father is the vine dresser. And, and every branch in him, it says in verse 2, that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. And probably more than likely what that means is he lifts it up. Because sometimes what would happen was the branches would fall down. It's not bearing fruit. And so he would lift it up. They would actually tie it with some little sticks. And so God wants us to bear fruit, right? And so he also says in every branch that bears fruit, what does he do? He prunes it so that it can bear more fruit. And then he says, if you can visualize that, that where his branches, what he's saying is abide in me, remain in me, rest in me, stay there. A lot of times Christians, they, they, they go to the right, they go to the left. They're no longer in church. They're no longer in the Word. They're no longer in prayer. They're no longer connected to Jesus Christ the way they were in the beginning. And, and I'll tell you what, when, when David, when this all went down and it was all done and God, you know, God got a hold of him and God got his attention and God brought him to this place where he needed to be, he ended up staying there. He ended up building a temple there. And that's my prayer. You know, not just for you, but for me. Lord, rock my world. Lord, do a new work in me. Change me. Let my wife see something different. Let my kids see something different. I know, Lord, that there's more of my heart that I could surrender to you. And once I get there and all life goes back to, to normal, back to the way it was, that we would not leave this place that you brought us to. Because as we abide in Christ, then, then we bear fruit. And as he prunes us, we bear more fruit. And then hopefully much fruit. Because when we bear much fruit, understanding that we were saved to serve, it's then, like we read right here, that our Father is glorified. And at the end of the day, isn't that what it's all about? You know, we were created to glorify God and enjoy him. And so uh, I, I pray when all this is over that we don't return to a casual or nominal Christianity. How, how long will it be? Well, as long as it takes for us to learn the lessons God is trying to teach us. And I know there are more than what I shared. I, I think that there's no way I could tell you everything. you know. But I think of lessons in the family. I think of lessons in the economy. I think of lessons in the awareness of my mortality. You know, God is trying to teach us, I think, as a church, but I also believe he's trying to reach the world. And so I pray that if you're here, if you're you know, watching this video and you don't know where you stand in your relationship with Christ, understand that, you know, the Bible talks about it in Revelation 3.20, that he's knocking. He's knocking on the door of your heart. And all you have to do is open up that door and say, Jesus, come into my life. You know, when we read that in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, he's talking to the church. He's talking to the church. I think it's applicable to anybody, but this is what God is, is calling us to. You know, if you're out there and you don't know where you stand in your relationship with God, as we talked about right here, you know, he loves you, he died for you, he paid for all your sins. They laid him on him when he died on the cross. They put him in the tomb. He rose again three days later. And all you have to do is call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 16, verse 31, 
then you will be saved. It's not a religion. It's not a program. It's a person. It's a personal relationship with Christ. You know, there's this beautiful passage in Matthew 11, 28-30. Let me close by reading it to you, where Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I pray that if you haven't already done that, that right here, right now, wherever you're at, you might be watching on the phone or a tablet or a computer or a television. You might be in your car. You might be in your you know, living room. I don't know where you are, but the Lord is there with you. And he's tugging on your heart. And all you have to do is say, yes, Jesus, come into my life. And as you do that, he will meet you there. He will wash away your sins. He will build you this home in heaven where there's no more sickness or suffering, there's no more death, and there's no more tears, where God is.